Oh, my God. 
five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Shema Koyleinu 
haras oilo hayoim haras oilo hayoim hayoim yamid bamishpot kol itzure yehovoilo mi hayoim haras oilo hayoim Thank you. 
Hashem, <laughs> 
J.M. and A.M. Friday morning. Erev Shab Shuvah. The Rabbi's sons with Hashem Malay Rachamim. You heard Eitan Katz and Shuvu. You heard uh, Ain O done by Avi Peretz. Mordechai and David Hayom. Yehuda Green with Shema Koleinu. Excuse me. Chaim Bennett and company with the Shema Koleinu medley. Vakoanim, that was Shlomo Katz. Uvawa Ovdim from Diaspora. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. We will get to the new Uvo. Uh, we'll, we will get to the new Vakonim from Arye Kunstler. Don't worry. We'll get to it coming up Friday morning on this October the fourth, day five in the month of Tishrei, halfway through the Aserishimei Tshuva, the ten days of repentance. The year is five seven eight zero. Tavshin Pei. Slichus. We still say it today, and we'll say it through Wednesday through Yom Kippur. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayelech. Erev Shabbos Shuva, Candlelighting New York, 6.13. Easy to remember, huh? 6.13, your official candlelighting time in the New York area. 57 degrees, sunshine today with a high temperature of 66. Clear tonight, low 46. Wow. <laughs> we got to really think about leaving the air conditioner on. <laughs> 46 degrees tonight? Wow. That's funny. Um... Sunshine for tomorrow, high Shabbos, 61 degrees, 82 in Yerushalayim. We're at 57 here in New York City. As we say good morning on a uh, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. We'll do our news from Israel coming up and plenty more. Don't forget that we are here all next week except for Wednesday, except for Yom Kippur. Uh, Otherwise, we are here for you uh, each and every day. Plus, don't forget, we've got amazing programming all weekend long um, with the Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night with Avrami. We've got JM Sunday with Matis live this coming Sunday morning between 7 and 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Lots going on this weekend. Lots going on this upcoming week. 
Yom Kippur, as we said, is Wednesday. And the following week, uh, we're off Monday and Tuesday, and then again Monday and Tuesday for the holiday. Any other day, Cholamoid, etc., uh, we are here playing great music and appropriate music, and we will continue to prove to be the best way to make it through a Cholamoid day or any day um, with us here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Galaitzal in the background to our news from Israel coming up. Galaitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday morning. Erev Shabbos Shuva is next. We say Boker Tov from JM and the M. בית המשפט השלום בירושלים העריך עד ליום חמישי את מעצרו של בן זוגה של מיכל סלע, שעל פי החשד רצח אותה ומיד לאחר מכן ניסה להתאבד. לילי בן עמי, אחותה של מיכל, ספדה לה לפני שעה קלה ואמרה, אחותי הצעירה נקטפה מאיתנו באכזריות כשהיא בת 32 בלבד. כל החיים שלה היו רק נתינה ועזרה לזולת. אם זה קרה למשפחה שלנו, זה יכול לקרות בכל מקום. אלפים מהמגזר הערבי מפגינים בשעה זו במספר מוקדים ברחבי הארץ במחאה על גל הרציחות בחברה הערבית. המפגינים חוסמים את כביש 65 מצומת מעמי לצומת כפר קרא, סמוך לאום אל-פחם. יושב ראש הרשימה המשותפת, חבר הכנסת איימן עודה, קרא גם לציבור היהודי להצטרף למחאות ואמר, חברה ללא נשק יעד אזרחי וחברתי של כולנו. כתבנו דורון קדוש מוסר כי בשעה זו אמורות להתחיל הפגנות נוספות בחיפה ובג'דה מכר. בתוך כך חמישה בני אדם נפצעו באורח קלת בינוני מירי במהלך קטטה בכפר עזריה הסמוך למעלה אדומים. כתבנו יאיר אורבייטו מעדכן שצוות של מגן דוד אדום פינה את הפצועים לבתי החולים שערי צדק והדסה הר הצופים. דיווח ממוסקבה, עיתונאית רוסייה נעצרה באיראן בחשד לרגול לטובת ישראל. יוליה יוזיק, שהגיעה אמש לטהרן, עוקבה לחקירה בשדה התעופה על ידי משמרות המהפכה האיראניים. על פי הדיווח בסוכנות הידיעות טס, יוזיק מואשמת בשיתוף פעולה עם המודיעין הישראלי. הרשויות ברוסיה חוקרות את המקרה. ובמגן דוד אדום מזהירים מחסור במנות דם לקראת החגים. בכל יום מעבירים במד"א כ-2,500 מנות דם לבתי החולים. עם זאת, מנת דם יכולה להישמר בין 30 ל-90 יום. לקראת החגים אומרים במגן דוד אדום אנשים עסוקים ולכן לא מגיעים לתרום. במהלך השבוע הבא ייפרסו ניידות של מד"א במרכזי אוכלוסין כדי לאסוף תרומות. על הפרטים דיווח לראשונה כתבנו לענייני בריאות, מאיר מרציאנו. ומזג האוויר היום נאה עם עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות, בשבת עלייה נוספת במידות החום. אלה החדשות שעורך רועי ולד.
נכנס למקום שנכנס, ועמד במקום שעמד. בחץ ידיו רגליו, טבל עליו ונסתפק. בא ממקום שהוא בא, והלך למקום שהלך. פשט בגדי החול, לבש בגדי לבן. וככה היה אומר אנשים. ספר לחטאים, לעוונות ולפשעים שחטאתי לפניך, אני וביתי. ואם אדם יכול לזכור את הפגמים, את החסרונות, את כל הפשעים, את כל העוונות, בטח ככה היה מונה אחת, אחת ואחת, אחת ושתיים. אחת ושלוש, אחת וארבע, אחת וחמש. ישר היה מתייאש, כי לא יכול היה לשאת את המרירות אחת, את הבושה, את הפספוס, את ההפסד. בכהנים והעם העומדים באזהרה, כשהיו שומעים את שם השם. מפורש יוצא מפי, כהן גדול היו קוראים, משתחווים ונופלים על פניהם. ברוך שם כבוד מלכותו לעולם פניו לקודש, אחוריו להיכל. ללא רבב היו שווים פיו ומעשיו. בא ממקום שהוא בא, והלך למקום שהלך. פשט בגדי לבן, לבש בגדי זהב. וככה היה אומר הנשם, כפר לחטאים, לעוונות ולפשעים. שחטאתי לפניך, אני וביתי. ואם אדם היה יכול לזכור את החסדים, את הטובות, את כל הרחמים, את כל הישועות, בטח ככה היה מונה אחת, אחת ואחת, אחת ושתיים, אחת מאלף, אלפי אלפים, ורבי ורבבות. זכותו לעולם ועד. 
המקום שעמד. פשט בגדי זהב, לבש בגדי עצמו. בכל העם והכוהנים היו מלווים אותו לביתו. ויום טוב לאוהביו, כי נסלח לכל עדת ישראל. Friday with Yishai Rebo and Seder Avodah. We'll say that on Wednesday, of course, when we uh, gather together for Yom HaKippurim in our synagogues around the world. Um, but before that, Aryeh Kunstler with a brand new Vakonim, also part of the Avodah, and we'll be saying that on Wednesday as well, of course, on Yom HaKippurim. Yaakov Shweki B'derech HaMelech, HaMelech being a very big theme this time of year. Friday morning, it's a uh, Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayelech, Erev Shabbos Shuva, candlelighting in New York, 613. Thanks for joining us. 18 minutes after the hour at JM in the AM. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's going to join us for the weekly update coming up about 740 Eastern Time this morning. We'll have that for you. Uh, feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Listener Yitzchak, good morning to you. Listener Trucker Yitz, good morning to you. Shana Tava, Trucker Yitz. Hope your travels are uh, going well, and I appreciate after all these years that you're still with us, allowing us to accompany you on your daily rounds. Much appreciated. J.M. and the A.M. Friday as we continue. This is a um, a classic Yom Kippur select Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur selection from the one and only Rib Shlomo Kalbach. Oh, oh, oh. 
از راهی ادرای آی ما ویرت ساینای تا خاص تا خاص شیفتای تا
סלח לי אבי, כי חטאתי לך, וכל לי על כל פשעיי. על כל פשעיי. ששכחתי אותך, היית תמיד בחיי. בכל הדרכים שהלכתי בעצם, היית לי נר הייתי עיוור, לא ראיתי מעבר למה שהביטו גם כשקשה לפעמים, גם אז אלוקים, אתה לעולם לא רחוק. רם כי אלך ודרכי חשוכה, פתחתי בך אלוקיי. על חצי שני, על בכור וילדה, תודה גם על עושר בלי די. תודה על חגים, על שבת ששומרת. שלא ייגמר לעולם. כל יום שעובר בנרקי לגן עדן, שיוויתי אותך מול
Jam in the AM, Barosha Shana, done by Nochi Cronin Company. It's a good song. Done well. Why you Maccabees with the Book of Good Life? Melech Malche Hamalachim. That's Ohad, of course, here at uh, Jam in the AM. And Shlomo Kalbach's Kivakarat preceded that here at Jam in the AM. Well, I've got to do the Rosenblatt Hinnity. I <laughs> I know it's Shabbat Shuvah. I know that Yom Kippur's not till Tuesday night. But for all those who couldn't believe I didn't include Hinnity from the great Yesela Rosenblatt in our uh, Erev Rosh Hashanah uh, selections, I've got to do it now. There's no choice. <laughs> Can't wait any longer. want to thank those of you who are um, uh, commenting on the app. want to thank listener Arnie. My pleasure to continue to support the best way to get started in the morning with you, Nachum, at NSN. God bless for years to come. Thank you so much for that. Um... Listener Chaya, the Rabbi's sons, early Reb Shlomo and Rebo's Seder Avodah, becoming my favorite for this year. I think a lot of people say that. Thank you for inspiring me as we go into Shabbat Shuvah. Gemar Chatimatova. Thank you, Chaya. Gemar Chatimatova to everybody. We are here the entire holiday season, the best way, all day long, starting with JM and the AM, and then all day long to get through the uh, this time of year is with us. And I certainly hope you're spreading the word and letting everybody know that this is the best way to uh, to navigate the holiday season. That's for sure. Um, so feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. And uh, my thanks to, uh, to listener Afif, listener Afif of Brooklyn, New York, who just checked in with a donation if you want to support us and keep us going year-round, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, and of course, we thank you. Here it is, the great Yesela Rosenblatt. You are listening to JM in the AM.
There he is, the great Cantor Yossela Rosenblatt. That is Hineni. And as I said, we uh, <laughs> I, I may play it again on Tuesday, Erev Yom Kippur, but we were criticized for not playing it on Erev Rosh Hashanah, so we make up for it with the Erev Shabbos Shuvah here at JM in the AM. Um, Malcolm Honline in a minute, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, will do the uh, weekly update. Um, which happens every Friday at this time. That'll be coming up. I want to thank our friends at jewishworldreview.com, jewishworldreview.com, continuously recommending our amazing network to their hundreds of thousands of readers, and we thank them. If you want to print out, I always say print out. You can read the stuff online if you want. You don't have to print it out, meaning you can read it online now. But if you want to print out then to read over Shabbos, there are thousands of articles for you to choose from about Israel and the Jewish world. Check it out by going to jewishworldreview.com. Again, that is jewishworldreview.com. And enjoy. Uh, Reminder, we are here all next week except Wednesday, which is Yom Kippur. The following week, Monday and Tuesday, we're all for Yontif. And the following week after that, Monday and Tuesday, Yontif in uh, the diaspora, we will be off. Cholamoid, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Next week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, we are here on a regular schedule. There's no better way to get through the day, especially this time of year, than uh, with us 
with the amazing music and content that is uh, geared to our worldwide community. So make sure to do so and uh, and and enjoy. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays here at JM in the AM for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, happy, healthy New Year. Welcome back to JM in the AM. To you too. It's good to be with you again and start off the, the New Year, right? Yeah. Hopefully with good news, if we can find some. So was this Demi Lovato episode a victory for the BDS movement or not? Look, it's very strange. I know that she's had uh, personal problems. Uh, I frankly never heard of her before, but uh, I know that she is well known, and uh, she was baptized and was pictured at the Kotel, and she has tens of millions of followers. Um, and uh, I just find it very confusing. It's unclear where, where she will end up, but she clearly came under a lot of pressure because she said really spectacular things about her visit to Israel. And that is why people have to know you have to make your voices heard. You have to continue when when people tweet or send messages that we respond to them, because a lot of this is manufactured, and we have proof of it that they, in fact, even use Jewish names, uh, but it's coming from Arab sources or pro-BDS sources that are, are not the people uh, indicated on the uh, you know, on Instagram or other messages that they get, and they're able to generate uh, a number of them. And, and it's really not big numbers that are needed. It's just that if there's an immediate reaction when a, a, a athlete or a, a movie or television star or somebody um, posts something, we have to make sure that we have as many responses there as the negative ones. It is funny, and and again, her notwithstanding, because whatever whatever the circumstances were this week with her, but the number of performers who are now going to Israel and performing in concert, and I'm talking about comedians, singers, etc. And on top of that, as you pointed out, the number of athletes, you know, all of them with major followings. They may not have millions of followers, but you get it. There's you know very significant numbers, and I don't remember anybody ever apologizing for, you know, uh, retroactively for going to Israel or, or any, any, in fact, I am shocked after this episode that there aren't more that feel that pressure that they have to come out with some type of statement. It does seem like the celebrities that do go come back with basically, you know, unabashed appreciation for Israel. Well, they have to make a decision before they go because they come under pressure, but unfortunately it's not as rare as, as that, that people don't, you know, make apologetic comments. It's not necessarily saying, you know, that they're sorry so much as... Um, Qualifying it. You know, exactly. You know, trying to, to hedge their bet and sound like they're on both sides of the issue, which they end up being. But this is, uh, this, this is the success of the BDS movement, where we see the success of the BDS movement manifest mostly. And again, it's individuals. You see the number of concerts in Israel is, is increasing, and yeah. more and more stars are in fact going. And, and there is a backlash, a positive backlash in the sense that, that um, uh, more of those in, uh, more influentials are making their voice heard. Last week, you and I spoke about anti-Semitism more in the context of, you know, we're all gathering in, in major places uh, for the holidays, and obviously we want safety and security, etc. But that these, and excuse the term, 
But these smaller news items, again, nothing is, is, is too minimum to discuss or to be worried about. But these smaller news items from around the world about how Jewish students are being treated in different schools at all levels, by the way, not just colleges, uh, younger than that as well. And things that are happening on subways and, and public areas uh, in general. You heard what happened in terms of the attack uh, on the physical building of the shul in Brooklyn over mm-hmm. Yontif. I mean, I wonder, you know, sometimes people point out to me, you know, Nahum, that th- this is no different than it's always been. Just today we hear everything and, you know, every little detail about every encounter between, you know, Jew and non-Jew or Jew and anti-Semite is, is now publicized. And I wonder how much of that is true and how much, how much is a real increase in all of this over the last couple of years. Well, both things are true. There is a sharp increase. There's an 80% increase in hate crimes in New York City. A part of that is people reporting, and still half of the incidents go unreported, and people are reluctant uh, to put their name in and file the complaint that is really essential so that we get a true picture and we get the protection that is, is required. Uh, people don't tell the police or don't mention it. And but by, the, by the way, you, as you say this, I'm saying to myself, there was no video of that shul. You're probably right. Nobody ever would have gone to the police. And the, that's, so that's one. Two, um, and the greater awareness. Uh, it is true that there were always incidents, and especially around the high holidays, and it's very visible. That's why you have had increased police department protection for years, going back to Ray Kelly and to... Um, in, in New York, at least, and in other parts of the country. But, there, you know, there are contradictory trends that we see. One, something that I noticed and I you know, thought about afterwards, that it's really more remarkable than we think, that many countries issued Rosh Hashanah greetings this year, including the Saudi ambassador in Washington, hmm. the UAE foreign minister, Egypt, Morocco, um, even the Iranians issued a statement in Farsi and Hebrew, addressed to the Jewish communities worldwide, and another one addressed. It's not because there's a change of heart there or anything. This is, a, you know, it's a propaganda move. But the very fact that so many countries, from India to the Europeans, etc., issued official statements at the same time that we see a, a center party in in Sweden introducing anti-Brismila legislation. Uh, which now the head of the party has backed off and said apologized for, regretted. Um, but it's a very contradictory period where you see trends in both ways, more public pronouncements by officials against anti-Semitism, taking a stand, demanding more action. Serbia, I just got a notice this morning from the Serbian government that they're going to hold a regional conclave on anti-Semitism and want me to speak in our, uh, the in Stockholm and Malmo, planning next year an international gathering about anti-Semitism, and not just couching it in terms of racism, but specifically these pronouncements and initiatives, educational, other kind of initiatives, are focusing on specifically on anti-Semitism. But the numbers are definitely sharply up, and it's in every sector, on campus and business, in political discourse, you see the the comments about Jimmy Down and et cetera that yeah. are unrepentant about those uh, those comments. And it's funny because and, and and this may be really a good example of what you just described because in one way we see countries some of whom never wanted to have a relationship with Israel you know at the feet of Israeli leadership we've described that scene you know countless times here over the last year and at the same time. 
what what's really going on in their minds is they'd really prefer not to be here. They'd really prefer not to have anything to do with Israel, but they you know honestly feel there's no choice at this point. So the Rosh Hashanah greetings and the you know and the silence when anti-Semitic episodes occur really could be just a, a, a further example of that. Look, we shouldn't overemphasize the the significance. Uh, I mean, it is a gesture that what they did at UAE with the announcement of the synagogue, mosque, uh, and church being built in uh, Dubai, in Abu Dhabi. Um, you know, so these are in individual places. You you might have these, but in but in Europe and in uh, um, in the United States to ignore, and, it, and in other countries, too. We see it in South America, obviously. We see it in some uh, the Asian countries. Uh, we ignore this at our own peril, the reality, and, and it's too easy to, to close our eyes to it and to just to, to, to seek out good news. I believe you don't ignore it. When, and when those who take a positive stand, we have to compliment and, re- and acknowledge them as well. But the overall situation and, and our numbers continue to, to demonstrate. And, and I think one of the things that, that was interesting during this past week of U.N. meetings, and we had many, many, is how, uh, as that virtually every leader acknowledges the problem, and the problem in their own country, as well as the overall increase in anti-Semitism, there is a, a, a general recognition uh, of the existence of the problem, not this, the, the denial that we saw till now, and you know how many years I've talked about it, um, and people wanted to just brush it under the rug, including Jews. But today I think there's much more of a willingness to confront it and to, to, to look for solutions and even legislative and other initiatives. Well, those officials are desperate for you to know that they're dealing with it, or at least that they're acknowledging it and you know it's on their on their agenda, so to speak. Exactly. But you look, you look, see, we had problems again. The Labour Party in Great Britain uh, on Monday met and they called for a, a future government led by Corbyn to boycott, to back a boycott of Israeli settlement goods and vowed to stop any trade agreements that don't recognize the rights of the Palestinians and uh, endorse the Palestinian right of return, etc. So you know, the and the obviously there were incidents. We, we saw the physical assaults here in Brooklyn and, and in New York City, but I mean, I asked much you, more I, in other places. I asked you this last week a little bit differently. Do you, do you think that the the hesitation that some law enforcement officials have to deal with things, especially these quote-unquote smaller crimes, and trust me, I know they're not small, but you get what I mean, uh, it could have something to do with it? Because really across the country, I don't think it's just New York, I think really around the country, you know, po- police officers hesitate a bit more than they used to when it comes to things like this. Well, they may hesitate because of some of the lawsuits and actions, you know, that, that they're reluctant to, um, uh, but it's not a reluctance to, to, to pursue the incidents because they're the brass and the leadership, uh, O'Neill and others, certainly have been very forthright and, and speaking about it. And they convened uh, meetings in different boroughs and, and citywide to, to talk about it and encourage people to file. One of the reasons people... Um, police departments were hesitant because once you call it a hate crime, it goes into the statistics of hate crimes, which certainly don't reflect well on, on the department. Right. And secondly, it brings the FBI in, yeah. which they're also not happy about. Right. Local uh, local authorities would prefer not to have the feds in town. Um, uh, lastly, on this topic, does all this that we just discussed, uh, attitude of countries and world leaders toward Israel and, of course, 
uh, on a more local level uh, episode, etc. Has any of this changed? Because I think you did indicate months ago that you were worried about this. Change the general attitude of a U.S. Congress toward Israel and the Jewish community. Well, first of all, you know the the polls that show that Jews uh, are the most popular of all the religious groups, a point or two ahead of Protestants and Catholics. Um, that the uh, certainly the mood in Congress where. We have outed those who have engaged in, in, in anti-Semitic comments or, or rhetoric or orientations. And I think, you know, there is a, a greater willingness and action orientation on the part of members of Congress because they, too, they too acknowledge it and recognize uh, what is happening. So it, it, it is not um, – it, it, but, but we also see people around the country who are running – who are associated with extreme left, extreme right parties, or we see the what's going on in the mosques. We see the in in, in many parts in America, and we see what's happening in um, other communities where anti-Semitism is tolerated and and even today growing. And and uh, I think that that it it puts the onus on us to be to be make people aware and to do it, but it puts the onus on them. It's it's not we who are responsible for the victims. It's mm-hmm. got to really be the onus put on those who are the influentials. That means law enforcement, judges to really sentence people seriously when they commit hate crimes. Uh, um, it, it's the educational system, which is not doing enough to, to educate people. Uh, the latest statistics about the uh, knowledge about the Holocaust is is horrendous. Um, I mean, the the fa- failure of people to to know here and in Europe, by the way, um, that a quarter didn't know what the Holocaust was, and and in some countries even higher numbers. Uh, so th- th- there is much to be done. We all have have a lot to do. Uh, vigilance is critical, but a willingness to to respond. And people always ask me what to do. When you hear somebody make or you see a television report that's inaccurate, uh, or when a person like the, this uh, movie, this singer, um, does this, and you you respond online, and it doesn't, you don't have to leave your house to do it. That really does matter. And the friends we've always had in Congress, they are still our friends. They are still our friends, some, yes. But even some of them sometimes need to be reminded and and encouraged and helped. And when people stand up for us, we stand up for them. Some of them are facing tough battles in the next congressional election. Some of them will. And again, people have to look into it, know who, who is running, what their positions are. Invite them to communities, to synagogues, so you really get the truth out of them. Look, we have many people, you know, who love us every November, and then in the interim periods, six every uh, six years or two years, um, do not necessarily sustain that those positions. They forget how much they love us. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web, and AchimSingle.com and the AchimSingle Network, and of course on the beloved. NSN app. Any update in the last seven days since we spoke last Friday regarding the Israeli election and the formation of an Israeli government? Yes, there's uh, there are things every few minutes. The uh, the Amina party today is going to split up. You see the that Lapid said he doesn't want to be in rotation. Um, that uh, Bibi introduced the idea that he would have a snap 
election for chair for the leadership of of Likud, from which he has backed off, and then he portrayed it as uh, as having exposed a, a plot against him. Sar Gidon you know, Sar announced when he made the announcement that he would hold the uh, um, vote on the leadership that he would run against Netanyahu. Netanyahu now backed off of it and said he's he, he's not going to do it, but I think he feels secure that his leadership will be sustained. The, um, the he was given the mandate uh, to by by the president. The reports that he would give it back already right after Rosh Hashanah. So far, he hasn't, but he's obviously been tied up for the last two days already in in very long eleven hour sessions of the pre indictment hearings. Uh, yesterday, I understand went well better for him. The first day, not as well. Um, but he has a lot of information that he wants to put forward, which he thinks will mitigate the charges. And hopefully he hopes that the attorney general will either drop them or maybe drop some of them. Uh, and if especially the, the bribery charge, which is obviously the most serious uh, charge you make against a public official. Uh, so <laughs> there's things happening every few minutes. Uh, people are confused. People are waiting to see if something breaks. Right now, there's more talk of going to a third election. What's the more likelihood? Will he form this government? Or would you call it 50-50? Is it going to be another election? What's the most likely uh, scenario? I, I don't see where the government from right now that the um, uh, that there will be a, a, a coalition that is going to be able to to um, have a majority, have the 61 seats. Uh, Lieberman is holding meetings or met with Netanyahu and met with Gantz, so we'll see maybe something there will break and they'll work out some sort of an acceptable rotation system. Netanyahu certainly needs the first year of this agreement to be the, there's a talk of giving Likud the first and fourth year, which many people would believe won't happen the fourth year. Um, and others are saying that that uh, Blue and White is saying they want the first uh, period, and uh, you know transition governments, meaning where you you have a coalition but you're splitting it. Uh, in the past, you, these so-called unity governments haven't always proven to be effective or as democratic because you don't really have an opposition anymore in the Knesset. Yeah, you mentioned that last week also, and I was wondering about that because. I know there's no opposition, but isn't there always the threat of a breakaway? Isn't there always a threat of a d- dissolving of the government, especially? Always, no matter what, the coalition, but uh, in, in absolute terms, in terms of having the 61 votes or right. the votes to and, defeat And the it. truth is a larger party to probably hesitate to do that anyway. Yes, because they have a lot at stake, and right. they know the people are tired. They don't want another election, and they will blame if a party if they are responsible, and they could blame them at the uh, polls. You know, going to a um, a second election was a miscalculation on his part. I wonder if now going to a Likud leadership uh, poll, uh, which, again, I mean, the way you're describing it, it sounds like we're not sure if that's really going to happen or not, but I wonder if that would be a calculation. No, it's not. It's, it's off for now. Oh, so there's no, no reason to discuss a calculated mistake. It's a 0% chance of it happening. Right now, he has he officially pulled back from it. Um. So this, I mean, I, the, the article that I saw was published on Rosh Hashanah, so I didn't know it last Friday, although the, the news may have broken before that. Apparently this Rouhani-Trump uh, meeting was a lot closer to happening than not happening with the help of the Macron president. Macron came to his hotel room, had set it up. They had a, sec- a secure room. Now, he would not have done that without Trump's permission, correct? It's not like... Uh, 
Okay. And the anticipation that Trump would be on the other line, right. end of the line. And at least these are the reports they haven't officially, I think, confirmed uh, by the White House. But the indication is that that uh, and Rouhani would not leave the room. That, those are the reports that are circulating. Again, we know that there's a tendency today that everything gets um, put out as a fact. And Who looks the worst? Exactly what it was. Which of the three looks the worst in this story? <laughs> he looks pretty bad, Macron, that he, you know... He pulls well, Macron, you know, looks like he was so anxious, he's so over-anxious to make a deal, and, and you know, he offered the $15 billion bailout. Of the, he, he did many things, none of which I believe he can actually deliver on. And he was trying to set up this call, and I think the president simply said, well, if he wants to talk to me, I'll talk to him, but didn't go to meet him, didn't, uh, and then uh, Rouhani wouldn't leave his hotel room to, to, to do the call. So, and, and in the meantime, we see that Iran is taking more and more aggressive steps. Uh, we see the, the, um, the increasing danger that they pose, and many uh, IDF people, the head of the, the military intelligence uh, research department, talked about the much more complex uh, reality than, um, than existed before, and the, the confirmation that they have missile cities um, coming, uh, IRGC people acknowledging that they have underground facilities for missiles in various locations, we, we believe as many as 10. Including Syria or just in Iran? No, just in Iran, that were dug already going back into the 80s when they were anticipating having the missiles, and that they now store ammunition and um, missile launching bases and stockpile the missiles inside Iran in the mountain range that they, that they already uh, I mean, say it and acknowledge it. And and they see it also entrenching itself in the in the Middle East with having uh, and boasting of the various uh, front groups that they have now working for them, whether it's in Yemen or Hezbollah or um, uh, in Iran or um, Yemen, and uh, uh, I think that I say Hamas, Hezbollah, the Syrian uh, front. Yeah, I mean they're all part of Iran, and, I'm sorry. And, and therefore saying that they have the capacity to respond to, to an attack, but also the increased number of missiles and the, the spread of their uh, facilities in various places throughout the Middle East, and, and they talking more openly now. Some of that is bravado to counter because the fact that Israel has been acting at will virtually against the shipment of missiles, etc., but we know that they are getting these kits to upgrade the missiles in Lebanon into Lebanon, and um, and Israel's upgrading its missile defense system, seeing what happened in Saudi Arabia. So it's a it, you know Iran is is quietly moving ahead, entrenching itself in Syria. We know that they have the um, more tools at at their uh, uh, advantage, meaning that they have front groups along the Golan. The, the uh, uh, Shiite militias who wear Syrian army uniforms but are moving closer and closer to the border of Israel on the Golan. Israel's aware of it, and it's something that they can't tolerate. They have taken some actions against it. Now, I mean, this carte blanche that seems Syria is giving Iran, right? I think you'd consider it carte blanche the way they're moving in and taking over. Well, they don't have a choice because they, they team up the militias with uh, some of the other groups and sometimes even with the Syrian army. Um, but they're not in a position really to take them on 
the Russians uh, are not happy about it, and the hope was that they would also set the rules to to um, limit it. So you can't say that Syrian cooperation shows us the true intention of Syria, which is you know essentially, God forbid, you know, starting up with Israel. Just because Iran has the run of the place, we shouldn't think that this is. Uh, something that Syria could control. They, they have the run of the place, because as you just described, Syria has no choice. They can't control it. Um, well, Syria alone can't control it, but they, do, they are gaining more and more control over the country, which pits them in some places against, for instance, Hezbollah and others. It's interesting that Nasrallah acknowledged in a speech that he did not want to go into the war in Syria, but that the Iranians forced him. The... Um, um, and the more public positions, I think, are interesting. But the opening of the second front, meaning, and they talk openly that they have Israel surrounded from three sides and seek a fourth, that it's Gaza, Hezbollah, and Syria, and increasingly their, their presence in Iraq. And that's why people should understand the importance of the Jordan Valley. They're Go not, and they're, look at the map. They're that not even is ca- the barrier against an incursion coming from uh, Jordan. And with the increasing presence of Iran in Iraq and the use of it as a base, and Israel's hit some of those bases, there are demonstrations now very much going on across the country against the government in Iraq. This is one of the issues. They do not want to uh, be involved in a war, and they want. There have been calls, including by um, uh, Sadr, the religious leader, to get Iranian militias out of Iraq. And it is there are a lot of these things that are going on that hardly get any press or any press at all. Um, and the, the you know they have Iran, Hezbollah now has four permanent bases in southwest Syria. They train local fighters. They store the missiles there. One base in Kunetra is three miles from the Israeli border, and uh, they have intelligence gathering there. They have um, the, it, a, a position of the Syrian army's 90th brigade is there. And they can eavesdrop on Israel and on Israeli forces, and, and you have UNIFIL 200 meters away, and they're doing nothing mm-hmm. about it. Now, so, so the three fronts does not even include Lebanon? That's... Yes, it does. Hezbollah is Lebanon, Syria, and Gaza. It does not include the Jordanian side. Um, oh, because you mentioned Iraq before, but that's not considered a front. That's... Well, it, it, it is increasingly a front because of the increasing presence of, of Iranian militias there and using it as a base and moving some of the storage stuff from Syria into Iraq because they thought it would be protected. But obviously it's come under... Right. Uh, but, 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 but you know that the Iran Revolutionary Guard, is it's estimated they have uh, 40 different military facilities in Syria with their own headquarters, drone control s- systems and training centers, and and at least a third deployed to target Israel. And this is coming from Israeli defense officials. So even if the Iranians aren't visible because they're using Syrian military uniforms, their presence is is uh, expanded. They have more than a hundred Shiite militias working for them across the Middle East and elsewhere. Um, and and the real story, of course, you know, in terms of this analysis, is that. Now they are literally sitting on the border. I know it's 2019, and you don't always have to be on the border to start attacks or to you know make a military impression, so to speak. But the fact that they are literally on the border with Israel now is, is very significant. Plus, on the Gaza side, and 
I don't know if this makes sense, you'll tell me, but as, as El Sisi is so much more preoccupied with the protests within his own country, uh, the efforts that he used to make in terms of uh, trying to quell Hamas and deal with that border would probably be less and less at this point, right? Uh, actually, no. Uh, I think that he has remained singly focused on that, and uh, he has taken, I don't think demonstrations have reached a point, I think he has to take preventative measures, and he's concerned that it not spread further. But for him, the you know the growth of Al Qaeda, we know that they are in the in the Sinai again, uh, as well as in other places, moving into Syria, and that's a whole other analysis. Um, you know, and despite all the the talk about the, the that it was dead, the United States sees a growing threat from Al Qaeda in uh, Syria, which has about two thousand fighters. About half of them are foreign terrorists uh, operating in, in, in northwest Syria. And uh, the the Russian air defense really protect them from American strikes. America continues to go after them in other areas, uh, ISIS and um, uh, uh, groups. So Al-Qaeda is still alive and functioning in different places. CC is is focused on his economy primarily trying to because that's that is the critical issue for him and and the key to survival of his government. Uh, the weapon smuggling episode from Lebanon to Israel. Uh, and this is simply a buildup of the Hezbollah forces up there, I assume, right? Yes, another manifestation, but thank God it was caught. Right. And Is the ring has been broken. Israel caught that. And the Russian journalist who was arrested in Iran and accused of spying for Israel, where does that case hold at the moment? Uh, no, he's arrested, he's being held, and we'll have to see. But, you know, they, they, they arrest people who write things critical of them, uh, and sometimes it's... A, a political message to the government or the country from which they come, uh, whether Israel would recruit a Russian reporter to work for him is, is uh, questionable, but not impossible. Now, obviously, Israel has tremendous intelligence. Not impossible. I would think it's likely. <laughs> no. Well, I don't want to <laughs> yeah, get no, this you... guy in more trouble than he is. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're listening and <laughs> you never know what they're... Yeah, these days, you never know. That's for sure. It, um, the, um, let's see here, uh, Russian journalist I asked you about, and I'm oh yeah, the, uh, so the Iranian official who, who <laughs> earlier in the week said that Iran has the capability to annihilate Israel and whether that was a threat on Israel or not, I guess we could debate. It's a shame that the United Nations was still not convening because you know, they would have gotten together, I'm sure, and condemned the statement. Am I right? It would have been an instant response, overwhelmingly, where they would respond to what uh, the head of the Iran uh, Revolutionary Guard commander, Salami, is his name, by the way. It should be Baloney, <laughs> but he, uh, or other things, um, he just said that this regime has to be wiped off the map. He talked about annihilation, saying they have the capacity, um, and that uh, this, and he said the second step of the revolution is the step that rearranges the constellation of power in favor of the revolution, meaning Iran's Islamic revolution. Uh, he said that will be on top. And then the second part is thinking of the global mobilization of Islam, which shows that their, their desire is not just local hegemony, but worldwide. And, uh, of course, Arif came and denied that right. uh, any leader threatened, ever threatened Israel when the words are still in their mouths and, and coming out. And, uh, you know, um, this the IOGC commander for operations, 
uh, Nilfa Roshan said that, that Israel is surrounded today on all sides, east, west, north, south, and uh, it's a sign of Israel's downfall have become obvious, and it lacks strategic depth anymore. Uh, you know, it's funny we haven't. I mean, the truth is, with the Israeli election aftermath, I guess that would be you know the most uh, realistic excuse or the the most obvious reason for it. We haven't heard a word about the peace plan. I know there's a Greenblatt departure coming from the White House. Obviously, the president has a lot more to deal with now because there's a whole impeachment situation going on. Uh, I mean, I, I don't even know if anyone cares at this point that you know it hasn't been revealed. Should we just assume that in 2019 we're not going to see any type of proposal from the White House? Look, I think as long as the Israeli government is not settled, they're not going to issue it. They were prepared to do it after the election, but because we have no after the election yet, mm. and um, if especially it goes into another election, you also have Abbas rejecting it and coming to the United Nations and rejecting it. So if the parties themselves are not in a position to really address it, and I do believe that the intention is to put it out, and it is it is a document that is ready to be uh, to be put out, and of course it'll be criticized by everybody. All sides will find it unacceptable, uh, but you have to have the right timing to to release it at a time when it's going to fall flat, and governments not be in a position to really respond, and with the um, unstable situation in Israel, people are going to be reluctant, the leaders will be reluctant to identify too much with it if, it if it doesn't enjoy the support of the people. So right now it's not an ideal time to release it. It's better to do it at the right time uh, than rush it. There's nothing immediate that is going to benefit from uh, the release of the document uh, now rather than a month from now. And it's waited this long. I guess it can wait a little while longer till we see if the Israeli thing clarifies. I was thinking about you on Rosh Hashanah, and it's a, Thank good, you. it's a good thing to mention, I think, before Yom Kippur as well. You know, it's not just individuals and families that are judged this time of year. Nations are judged this time of year. And God makes a decision whether they will flourish or whether they will collapse or, you know, somewhere in between over the next year. And sometimes we forget that. We forget that the, the we, we always think the fate of the uh, Jewish people is in the... Uh, a military strength of Israel, which can, which should uh, please God continue uh, to be as strong as ever. And, of course, on the other side, uh, the force and intention of the enemy. But we also have to remember that the one above has a lot in terms of controlling that. Absolutely, and nations uh, are judged, and the uh, hopefully the increased sanctions and the other things that have been announced will yeah. uh, impact, and that the evil forces that are abound in the world uh, will be eradicated this year. People who are should be our natural allies, and I'm thinking obviously mo- primarily of the European countries, natural allies in this battle can't get on board with the U.S. when it comes to you know a certain level of sanctions. But they don't protect their own interests. This is what's so ludicrous. Right, right. Uh, and I know it underpins what you're saying, that that their own interests, they don't stand up for their own people. They don't take steps that that will assure that they can fight uh, evil forces. We see the increasing activities in Europe that the uh, influx of people who who are working against it and radicalized populations. The the you know in France you see the the number of mosques that become uh, that are taking over churches and the the collapse of the societal factors. I mean, you're right. It's very hard to understand sometimes when they don't think of their own self-interest and not doing it for us. Just do it for yourself. And, and we don't see it. And now, I, I, one of the things that I saw on the part of, of the governments and, and um, is growing awareness 
that you know their their communities, their societies. This is not just targeted anti-Semitism; may target Jews, but everybody pays the price for it. And and I think that more and more of them are are coming to some recognition of the importance of of uh, dealing with uh, anti-Semitism, at least containing it. And uh, whether they're embarrassed about it and don't want to see the statistics out there, but they they uh, recognize. Um, I mean, almost every leader that we met emphasized and talked about the steps they're taking and their concern about the increased radicalization and and um, extremist views uh, um, expressed as anti-Semitism. Malcolm, an easy fast, and uh, let's hope that the the good people are judged favorably this year. A meaningful fast to you and to everyone, and one that we um, that our tefillah should be received. And that the uh, those who preceded us, who are judged, will be judged favorably. And those who will follow us will benefit from our recognitions and coming to terms. And this is a great opportunity to think in the long day of Yom Kippur about what more each of us can do to make a difference. Yeah, no question about that. Amen to that. Have a wonderful Shabbos and an easy fast. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Our weekly update schedule for the remainder of October, and specifically in terms of the shows just before Sukkot and during Cholamoid, we will announce uh, during the week as soon as that's clear. Obviously, um, uh, once Shabbos Bracious arrives, once uh, Simchas Torah ends, we will be back on a completely regular schedule, please God, and uh, feature the weekly update every Friday starting at 7.40 Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. I want to acknowledge... A donation that was specifically um, uh, given to the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting in turn to JM and the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network uh, in honor, uh, specifically I should say, um, um, during Rabbi Yudin's Friday time slot. Um, the uh, 10 times high donation is sponsored by Willie Hochman. And I must say, Willie has become not just an, an amazing listener of ours, but somebody who is so enthusiastic about the work we're doing here. I can't thank him enough. Sponsored by Willie Hochman and the Joel Paul Group in honor of Gail Hochman's birthday. Happy birthday, Gail, from all of us here at JM and the AM. If you seek employment in the not-for-profit sector, if you have open positions to fill, you want to make sure to contact Willie and his staff. Go to uh, the website, joelpaul.com. Joel Paul, J-O-E-L-P-A-U-L dot com. And again, we thank uh, uh, Willie and the Hochman family for that wonderful donation done specifically and mentioned specifically uh, now during the Rabbi Yudin segment. This time each every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, Rabbi Emeritus, Congregation Shomri Torah in uh, Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayelech. Parshas Vayelech has the distinction of being the shortest parsha in the Torah. It contains but 30 psukim. According to the Chinuch, we complete the Tariag mitzvos. We have mitzvah 612 and 613 in this week's Parsha of Vayelech. Mitzvah 6.12 is that of Hakel, namely that every seventh year on the Yom Tov of Sukkos, 
following the uh, Shemitah year, the king of Israel would ring, read the Sefer Torah from the book of Devarim, different parts, and the entire nation would slowly pass by, listen to it, and according to the Chinuch and the Rambam, it's a kind of recreation in the minds of the people of Maimar Har Sinai. As all the nation was there, here too, the entire nation hears the Torah and reminds them of the centrality of Torah in their lives. And finally, the last mitzvah, according to the Rambam and Chinuch, is that of the mitzvah of Kisvu Lachemes Ashir Hazos, for each and every individual Jew to write a Sefer Torah. The Rush understands this as the mitzvah to have a Jewish library, so that if a person, well, needs a in those days, they studied from the Sefer Torah. One would have to borrow, and given its costliness and its preciousness, people did not want to lend out a Sefer Torah. So therefore, you needed it as a practical thing. And today, we have, thank God, so many Sfarim, but a person should have, in whatever language they're comfortable in, in whatever level, they have Sfarim to not only create that very special ambiance. You walk into the house, and I know it's a Jewish home, but more than that, it should, please God, permeate the lives of adults and children within the home. By the way, according to the Ramban, the 613th mitzvah is next week in Parshas Ha'azinu, and that is the mitzvah of Birkas HaTorah, the blessings that we recite daily in conjunction with our appreciation to Hashem and thankfulness that He's given us the Torah. In terms of Parshas Vayelech, I'd like to suggest a way in which the Parsha itself um, prepares us for Yom Kippur, and that is, make a note, bring the Chumash to the table, please God, tonight, and I'll show you a very interesting verb. It happens to be in Pasuk 16, in this week's Parsha, chapter 31, Pasuk 16. And the Pasuk reads as follows, Vayom Hashem Moshe, God says to Moshe, Hincha you are going to die, and you're going to rest with your forefathers, the idea of Olam Haba. And then, because there's an Esnachta, the way the Chumash is printed, an Esnachta is a pause in the verse. And then, the second half of the verse, V'kama Amazeh, and this nation is going to literally rise up, and it's going to be led astray after the foreign gods in the lands where you are are uh, going to be dispersed, and they will forsake Hashem, and they will unfortunately uh, annul the covenant that he has <coughs> contracted with them. Now watch. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, 90b asks, where do we find references in the Torah to Tchiyas HaMesim? 
as we say in the 13th of the Anima Mim, Anima Mim Bemuna Shlema, I believe with complete and total faith that there will be Tchias HaMesim, that the dead are going to come to life. Where is that found in the Torah? So if you look at the Pasuk, I read the Pasuk and I put in a snachta, a pause, after the words Imavosecha. But given that in the Torah there is no punctuation, the Talmud says the verse could be read as follows. Hashem says to Moshe, you are going to lie with your fathers, you're going to die, and don't put the comma there, but rather go on to come, and you will rise up. Moshe is going to come to life again. Now, this is a very interesting point that not only can the word become go either way, because the Torah is to be understood on so many different levels, but for us especially, this concept of our belief in Tchias HaMesim, in literally the eternity of the soul, is so significant. Because what is Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is a day that we focus and on our soul. The five inuyim, the five restrictions of the day of Yom Kippur, that we are not to eat and drink, one, which everybody agrees is biblical, and the other four, which are not to wear leather shoes and not to bathe and not to have cosmetics and not to engage in marital relations. All of these have one thing in common. They are all pleasuresome to the body. And on Yom Kippur, we put all of that on the back burner and we accentuate the fact that we have a soul, that we are angelic-like, just like the angels. Our saying of Baruch Shem Kavod, Malchuso, the Olam Ed, as we say every morning in the first bracha of the um, that the angels say one to another, right? Kedusha kulam ke'echad onim ve'omrim bi'ira. We describe what happens on high. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. That the angels say, and then what comes right after that? Baruch kvod Hashem mim komo. And this is that Baruch Shem kvod. Our mimicking the angels that we say aloud on Yom Kippur. So the belief in the eternity of the soul is one of those very strong factors which um, generates Yom Kippurim and tells us about the significance of the day. I'd like to share with you, first of all, a beautiful insight into the essence of Yom Kippur. And this is found in the end of the Kriyas HaTorah that we're going to read in Mirz Hashem this coming Wednesday morning on Yom HaKadosh, on Yom Kippur. At the end of the Kriya, which is the Avodas, Yom HaKippurim, the special service that the Kohen Gadol performed on behalf of the Jewish nation on Yom Kippur, whereby he went into the Holy of Holies four different times on this day. The Torah, starting with um, verse 
29 in chapter 16 in Vayikra, the Torah tells us that Yom Kippur shall be for you Lechukas Olam, translated as an eternal decree. And this phrase is found three times in the end of the Kriyasa Torah. Now what does that mean to you, an eternal decree? So I think you're probably correct if you're saying to yourself that Yom Kippur will always be observed. So first of all, pause for a moment and ask yourself, how do you know that the Torah is divine, that it was written by Hashem and not by Moshe or any other great man? And one answer has to be, how could any human being over 3,000 years ago know what would be 3,000 years down the road and say this day and with its restrictions will always be observed? Unbelievable. Only Hashem, who knows history and controls history, could write that chukas olam. But I'd like to share with you an additional insight that of Rav Nevensol. He should live and be well. One of the Atikim and great rabbis in the old city of uh, Yerushalayim. And he says beautifully that chukas olam is not only an eternal decree, but a chok we know is a law without a reason. A law which cannot be explained. And it's a law which goes against Olam, the world. Allow me to explain. A person breaks somebody else's window. He can't say there was no sign, no ball playing. He can't say, I'm really sorry, I didn't think I could hit the ball that far. The bottom line is, you broke their window. You have to pay for that window. If the next day, the owner of the home wins the lottery and says, forget it, what's the $500,000 compared to the millions that I won? I'm mochel, I forgive you. He forgives you, you don't have to pay, but still the act was done. You broke the window. Someone has to clean up the glass. The glass has to be replaced. Now watch. I make a, a reservation for two at a very fancy kosher restaurant. I want to influence a client. I want to show him beautiful Jewish restaurant, kosher restaurant, etc. I come like a big shot. I say reservations for two, and I give her my name. And she looks, she says, I'm sorry, no. I say, look again, please. She looks, no. So the first thing I do, I call my secretary. She says, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. I said, okay, I forgot to tell you you're fired. Hopefully not, but now watch. And then I say, oh, yeah, yeah, right across the street, there is a non-kosher restaurant. So I say to myself, okay, I'll go. I won't eat the meat. I'll eat a vegetable, this or that. I'll play with it, etc. Okay, and I go and I eat and I eat the vegetables, etc. And I come before God on Yom Kippur and I say, Hashem, this wasn't premeditated. I just wanted so much to clinch this deal. The dollar bills got the best of me. I am so sorry. I'm remorseful. I won't do it again. I promise and I truly plead before Hashem. Now, even though there might be a video that shows my eating in that restaurant, I never ate. That's what Shuva does. Shuva, literally like that magic slate that we had as children, can take it and literally wipe it away. Here too, I never ate. I never ate the non-kosha. Amazing. This is chukas achok.
a law which defies olam. It defies nature. And it's for that reason that the Gemara in Psachim tells us that certain things were created before the creation of this world. This is one of the themes that we've been saying in Slichos every night or every morning early. What's going on here? Why must I know that tshuva, the concept of uh, repentance, asking for forgiveness and that Hashem forgives, was created before this world. Because, as Rabbi Nevensol is explaining, Chukas Olam, this doesn't follow the natural laws of the world. The window is broken, but here I never ate it. It undoes the world. It's a Chukas Olam. Now, we know that very this Shabbos, in all our communities, the Rav gives a special drasha, a Shabbos Shuva drasha. The name of the Shabbos comes from the Haftorah, from the book of Hosea, Shuva Yisrael. And I therefore want to share with you a beautiful insight regarding Vidui that Rav Salavechik, Sechron Levracha, pointed out among his many shiurim when he gave Shuva uh, shiurim annually between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And I'd like to uh, basically ask one simple question. What, where and how is the Vidui recited on Yom Kippur? Now, we recite Vidui, which is the shorter Vidui, Oshamnu, Bogadnu, Gozalnu, and the longer Vidui, of we recite the Vidui a total of ten times. We say it, interestingly, on the Mincha, this coming Tuesday afternoon before Yom Kippur. That's once. We say it two more times on Mayriv, Tuesday night, one in our private Shemona Esrei, and one, the Chazan, leading us in Slichos, we say it there as well, that's three. Two at Shachris is five. Two at Musaf is seven. Two at Mincha is nine. And one more time at Nila, which is ten times over Yom Kippur, we recite Vidui. Where and how is the Vidui recited? So interestingly, the individual recites the Vidui at the end of Shemona Esrei. He finishes the last bracha, whether you say bracha to Hashem, Oseha Shalom, or you say, you have completed your Shemona Esrei, and then that's where you recite the Vidui. The Chazan, on the other hand, recites the Vidui and leads the congregation in Vidui, in the fourth bracha of the Shemona Esrei. Now, every bracha of every Shabbos and Yom Tov is a Shemona Esrei of seven brachos. The only one that had nine was the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah because we added Malchios, Zechronos, and Shofros. So now, the question is, what is the bracha of Yom Kippurim? that we say Tuesday night 
in our Mayriv and throughout the day. It is Baruch Ato Hashem, Melech Mochel V'soleach Lavon Oseinu, which means the king who forgives and pardons our sins, Kama, V'lavonos Amo Beis Yisrael, and the sins of his people, Israel. And he removes our sins annually. Melech Oretz, the king over the entire world. Mekadesh Yisrael, the Yom Kippurim, who sanctifies Israel, and the day of Yom Kippur. Why the double language, asks Rasalavechek? The king who forgives our sins, Kama, and the sins of his people Israel. And the Rav gave a beautiful explanation and said that there really are two levels of forgiveness taking place on Yom Kippur. There's the personal and there's the communal. The personal is vidui, is said by each and every one of us at the end of our Shemona Esrei. And how do we say it? We say it contrite. We say it bent over. We say it crying. Because each and every one of us, our destiny is in the balance on Yom Kippur. The Chazin, who is leading the Tzibur, there is a metaphysical concept called Knesset Yisrael. Knesset Yisrael means the Jewish people. The Jewish people as a whole. In this case, the whole is greater than the sum of all its parts. And therefore, Netzach Yisrael, the destiny of the people as a whole, we are assured. So therefore, rather than say it at the end, we say it in the middle, in that fourth primary bracha of the day. And not only that, before we say the vidui, the chazan leads us in slichos. And Rav Salvechik said, think about it, Slichos is a privilege. As Rav Yochanan taught in the Gemara Rosh Hashanah 17b, when the Jewish people are in a state of crisis, Ya'asu Lefanai, we recite the Yud Gimel Midos, we recite and we connect with Hashem, and He responds to us. So what do we say before we say the Vidui? When we say it communally as a people, we say, Hashem, remember, we've got a deal going between you and Knesset Yisrael, you and the Jewish people. There will always be a Jewish people. You will maintain your destiny. And I say to everybody, pinch yourself, because we are part of Knesset Yisrael. The fact that the Jewish people are, thank God, alive, well and kicking is because of his Shomer Abris, Zocher Abris. He keeps the covenant. This we are assured of. And that's why in most synagogues, when the Chazan leads us in Vidui, we don't say the Vidui. We don't cry the vidui, we sing the vidui. Ay, 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 ay. We sing the vidui. Why? Because we are assured that there's going to be forgiveness for the Jewish people. What a powerful, beautiful way to go into Yom Kippur. Each one of us, individually, we are very concerned. Mi yechia, mi who's going to live, 
who not. But the people of Israel, that we are for sure uh, assured. I'll close with the Torah in this once again very short parsha of Vayelech. Take a look at Pasuk 21 in Vayelech. Several years ago, a Jew from the former Soviet Union, Baruch Hashem, was privileged to write a Sefer Torah. And he asked me what verse or what should he put on the mantle, on the cover of the Sefer Torah. And I selected for him a verse which I think is so significant for all of us, but especially the Jews that have come from the former Soviet Union. And in verse 21, the Torah says, and the Torah promises, Kilo Sishochach Mipi Zaro. Those five words that the Torah will never be forgotten from his progeny, from the Jewish people. Jews coming from the former Soviet Union where they didn't know very often what Yom Kippur is. They might have known the day, but they didn't know Itzumo Shal Yom. They didn't know what a Vidu is. They didn't know how to hold a Mahzar. And take a look. They are here today, so many of them, thank God, keeping Shabbos, keeping Yom Kippur, the children studying Torah. This is the promise of Yom Kippur, that Chukas Olam, the world wants to rid us from them. But we know that Yom Kippur is Chukas Olam, to be understood on two ways. One, it's always going to be observed. Two, it defies the nature. That's why it is a metaphysical day, a very, very special Yom Kadosh. Wishing everybody a good Shabbos and a Gemar Chasim Matova to all. Shabbat Shalom to all. Across the cities, hands across the seas, heartbeats together. It's the sound of unity. We're linked in a chain to change the world. When you feel the strength, you spread the word. We're linked in a chain to change the world. When we get together, our voices
Hakel done by eighth day. Shame in the AM Friday morning on this uh, Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayelech. It's uh, Erev Shabbos Shuva here at JM in the AM as we uh, start winding down here on a uh, on an Erev Shabbos, Erev Shabbos Shuva. Um, reminder, tomorrow night it's going to be Avrami with the... Um, Saturday Night Seagull program is going to be happening tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Don't forget, Sunday, Matis has JM Sunday. That begins at uh, 7 a.m. Eastern Time. From 7 to 9 Eastern Time on Sunday morning. That is the way to tune into a JM Sunday and enjoy. Something that we do that nobody else does provides a provide a great, wonderful... Sunday morning broadcast. Um, so keep that in mind and to join us Sunday morning between 7 and 9 a.m. Next week's schedule, pretty simple. We're here every day, but Wednesday, Wednesday, of course, is going to be the day of Yom Kippur. That'll be the only day off next week. Otherwise, a regular schedule at JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Shia Rubenstein, Lachado D, next at JM and the AM.
Rubenstein, Lachad Odi, Erev Shabbos Shuva, JM in the AM. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM. Spend the day together with the old 
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Wishing everybody a wonderful Shabbos Shuva. We're back Monday morning starting at 6 a.m. Plenty to keep you busy until then. We've got Naomi Nachman next with Table for Two. Mark Zamek, encore edition of uh, the um, Erev Shabbos show. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. It's coming up at 10 o'clock. Harry Rothenberg's video blog, Parshas Vayela, coming up at 1 p.m. And, of course, the Arab Shabbos music mix all the way until candle lighting. Tomorrow night, Saturday night single with Avrami. On Sunday, it's JM Sunday with Matis starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure to be tuned in and treat him well. He will treat you well. I can guarantee you that. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Monday, we're back as we march forward to Yom HaKippurim. To Yum Kipper. Have a, foul, a fabulous Shabbos and weekend until Monday morning. Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future. Yeah.